Let's cut to the chase. The world of work is changing. There is no stopping that change. Welcome to the Better Work Project, brought to you by the team at SoftEd. I am your host, David Mantica, and joining me as co-host is Andy Cooper. In this podcast, we will explore the changing world of work, what the future of work means, how it affects businesses and workers alike, and how we can create more productive and engaged workplaces. I hope you join us for the ride. Enjoy. Welcome all to episode nine of the Better Work Project. We made it to nine. Hopefully we'll get to 10 and beyond. Today is going to be a fantastic session on self-organization. What is it and is it even possible? And we have a guest. But before the guest, I, I got to say hi to Andy and say, Andy, I've had a lot of sugar today. So, you know, this might get a little bit scary. Yeah. Well, we could tell that. Um, <laughs> so I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> and you know my favorite character in cartoons, right? I don't think we could talk about him in this, um, in this episode, but I, I, hopefully I don't turn into him at some point. No, a bit corny, but yeah. <laughs> a little inside joke. Well, Andy, you want to say hello to everyone? Hi, everyone. Looking forward to this session. Uh, Michael, welcome. Michael, you want to say a quick hello, and then I'll introduce what we're going to talk about and then have you introduce yourself in more detail. Yeah, sounds good. Hey, hi, everybody. Um, look, it's, it's awesome to be here, and um, I'm, I'm humbled by uh, being, being a guest on the podcast. So super excited, and hopefully I can keep up with you, David. Uh, since you are so full of sugar, I hope I can keep up with that sort of energy. Well, you guys do a lot of coffee and stuff, right? And tea and all that stuff. So maybe you got a lot of caffeine flowing through your veins right now. Two cups already since this morning. That's a beautiful thing. Beautiful thing. Okay. So what are we talking about? As we, after we talk about what we're talking about, then I'll let Michael give you a little bit more depth on his experience. And then we'll jump right into the question. So in my early time, so this is David, in my early time in Agile, I'm kind of an old guy. So this is back in 2004, 2005. When I first heard about self-organization and self-management, I initially thought chaos, impossible, foolish, and crazy. I'm a child of the 1980s in the U.S. Imagine that for a second. Remember, I'm in the U.S. You can tell by their accents, they're definitely not from the U.S., um, just waiting for my chance to be Gordon Gecko. How many of you know who Gordon Gecko is? The man who specifically said greed is good and never get a stock that's a dog with fleas. I love the dog with fleas concept. Um, I wanted the corner office and all that came with it from my TV and movie experience. Well, a lot has changed, yet this is still a topic that gets debated a lot whether it is from true believers in heroic leadership to folks who believe that human beings naturally tend toward a more representative or dictatorial leadership management file that makes self-organization biologically difficult. So we have these debates still going on. The three of us will dig into the concept of self-organization, discuss what it is, how it can be done, and deal with the misconceptions along the way. But just know there is one of us that might push back a bit. You'll have to listen to find out who that may be and what they push back on. So Michael, tell us about your experience and your interest in this topic as well. Oh, how far you want me to go back? You want me to start, start at the beginning of my career? <laughs> when you were in the womb. 
Oh, man. <laughs> All right. Uh, how about we go back to the mid-2000s where I kind of started off. Um, so th- back then, I haven't heard of what Agile is all about. Um, so I started working, uh, doing a lot of stuff in web development and graphics. I did a lot of work for like defense, the big banks, and some, uh, some big companies. So we did a lot of work for Microsoft and stuff. Um, so that was a really cool learning experience. And after that, I moved into a sort of state government role. Um, so still in a similar sort of field, but that's when I sort of got my hands onto product management a bit. So back then we didn't call it product management, but we did a lot of practices that they actually use in product management and it made us really successful. So we actually delivered a couple of um, really great initiatives and, um, you know, they've won a couple of awards. So one which won um, a product management award uh, in the Asia South Pacific and one in quality and health. Healthcare. So I was in the healthcare industry. So that was pretty cool. Um, beyond that, I moved uh, more into the federal government role, um, sort of uh, moved away from um, the state government into federal government. So I was working in a scrum master uh, capacity. And then I some, somehow fumbled my way into agile coaching. Um, I'd like to say that I sort of Stephen Bradbury my way up. <laughs> so I fumbled my way, my way up there. <laughs> well, your, your, um, your career started a lot better than mine where I was started out cleaning um, bathrooms at McDonald's. So you definitely, you definitely have come from a much better perspective than me. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure you learned a lot of lessons along the way too, David. I absolutely did. I absolutely did. And on the award, did they actually give you a physical award, like a big trophy or anything was it, was, when you won the award at state government? How did they do that? Yeah, yeah. We've got a couple of um, trophies, but um, it was only one to share with the team. Um, so I, I actually took, <laughs> I took, took it before I left. So I still got it in my living room. <laughs> I love that. I love that. <laughs> do you think anybody ever tried to look for it? No, I don't think anyone's tried to look for it. I still got it in my living room. I'm so proud of it. <laughs> that, that was that was team spelt with the I, right? <laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, it was a bit like that back then. But um, yeah, so that's that, that's sort of early in my career. So, um, but you know, um, my my sort of um last engagement um was which was actually uh, really interesting because um I was in the federal government role. Um, so we do doing a lot of um agile stuff sort of outside of software development and IT. So we were doing, um, applying a lot of uh, lean principles, agile, um, the agile ways of working and thinking into different aspects of uh, government. So we were doing stuff like um, support forums for communities. Um, we did full end-to-end video production service. So stuff you would expect to see in a, a TV studio and creative services, copywriting, marketing, graphics, and customer experience. So that's what we focused on. Um, and, and that's what I did a lot of coaching and supporting the teams and that sort of stuff. And then um, I joined Softed about close to one year ago um, and loving it, really loving it. Man, you've had a phenomenally interesting and eclectic career. So I think you're going to add a lot of positive and cool information and really protect us two old fogies from ourselves. So let's jump into the questions and let's get going here. So Michael, since you're the guest, we're going to start with you and Andy's going to pontificate off of some of your thoughts and give his two cents. So really the first question is a simple question. Just what the hell heck is self-organization, self-management and try to explain the way that most of us can understand. 
All right. Um, well, let's just go with. Um, so I was born in the mid '80s. So when you were talking about Gordon Gecko, I had no idea who Gordon Gecko is. But <laughs> <laughs> damn, that name sounds cool, though. Gordon Gecko, right? <laughs> oh, he was cool too, man. Very cool. Oh, it might be something that I'll dive into a little bit later on. Um, have a look at it and go back in time. So, um, so what the heck is self-organization, you ask? Um, so to me, self-organization is, is like the end state of self-management, right? And self-management is a way to become self-organized. So when you are self-managing, you will uh, work towards self-organization. Um, so with that in mind, um, so I want to briefly touch on uh, the subtle differences between the, the words self-organizing and self-management, which is um, really used interchangeably a lot, especially in an agile context. So let's, uh, so I think maybe we start there. How does that sound? Go for it. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, with self-management, um, it, it's really about um, the goals are given by leadership and so is the direction, Right. Yep. Uh, companies and objectives are, are really established uh, and regularly communicated to teams and people, and there's still supervision from leadership, and they kind of re- track the team's progress and direction. So they're still planning, they're still problem solving, um, and teams uh, and teams and meetings is all about alignment to deliver on the goals, and leadership is required to to provide some guidance direction. And, and advice regularly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I say a lot of um, organizations actually fall in this category. And then um, the subtle differences between self-directed is when goals are determined and uh, made by themselves, by people and teams. And teams create their own environment and they establish their own goals, their own commitments, and there's little to no, no supervision, right? And they can make their own decisions, resolve their own conflicts, um, problem solve without needing approval. And um, really, the, the two-way communication between leadership and teams is talking about things that they agree on um, and not necessarily just taking the advice and going with it. So which one is more powerful? 100% uh, self-directed, um, in my opinion. It's self-directed, but it's, it's really rare to see. And it's really hard to get to that state right mm-hmm. and there's a lot of letting go of um things that we're, we're used to so andy what, what would you like to interject add or um pile on to some of michael's thoughts um i think that, that that's a good summary uh, i would just to me you know keeping it pretty simple from a perspective of self-organization i think you know if we look at it any system it's really about the system in this case, the team, we often talk about being able to um, organize itself and respond and react um, in support of a, of a clear purpose um, and to make decisions independently um, in alignment to that purpose. No, it's going to be interesting as we get into this more talks about some of the skills to make that happen. And of course, my pushback is going to be, is that even possible? But before we get into to that, we got to keep digging deeper into this topic. So, Andy, I'll throw it at you. You and I have talked a lot about, and I've heard you babble on and on in a good way, about the democratization yes. of decision-making, <laughs> a.k.a. pushing decision-making down to the point of work. So why is that important? Can it happen? And is it important, more important now based on the current business conditions that we're dealing with? Well, 
I'll just throw in another uh, another line from from another 1980s movie that yes. um, that Michael hopefully knows about, maybe not. But there was um, from one Maverick to another. Um, a famous quote was, "I feel the need for speed." So <laughs> I think that sums it up um, from my personal perspective. That the current situation, you know, um, the decision making a lot of organisations. Um, just too slow so you know customers expect fast response um and we need to be able to make those decisions um quickly and i think a lot of organizations uh are stuck in decision making and processes and ways of thinking that prevent that you know and i think a lot of that's somewhat delusional um on the basis that you know, a manager might think they can make a better decision than their staff in the absence of any knowledge or fit people further up the line. Um, it's it's decision-making processes, um, things like, you know, ordering a laptop. Some organizations might take six people for approve, which probably ends up costing as much as the laptop itself. Is that a There's joke? A lot of, That's a joke. How many people do take to order a laptop? Yeah, but it's not, this is a, unfortunately a real one. I've heard this from an example, you know, from a customer talking about that, that real instance where it did literally was six people had to approve. So you add it up and it's like, let alone the time, the cost is probably as much as the laptop. So I think the, the, the root cause of this is, um, you know, is, is safety. Um, people don't want to make decisions and um, they want to have fur people further up make them. So, um, yeah, and there's sitting behind that is, um, you know, a lot of organizational baggage. So, Michael, what says you on this? That was some pretty interesting thoughts. Yeah, um, and I, first of all, um, I think what you said before, Andy, um, with trying to roll in uh, some 80s uh, movies quote, um, was that Top Gun? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Go on. Go on. <laughs> it was. <laughs> Um, so I think um, it's really important. Um, so, so there has been an emerging trend over sort of the last decade, right, of uh, a lot of uh, organizations uh, transitioning into um, this way of working and moving away from a lot of the traditional ways of working where it was really built on hierarchy and empire building and uh, to, to a, a way which is um, a little bit more flat, right, um, and where even organizations which have real um, deeply embedded cultures of hierarchy, it's, um, it's really hard to shift this way of thinking. And, and you'll see it um, in, in some organization where they kind of run a dual operating system. So what happens is they still have the hierarchy, the traditional hierarchy in terms of their reporting lines and structures on the org chart, but they're running like a, a network of teams and self-organization, uh, self-organizing teams. So, um, even in the U.S. military, there has been a change uh, in, in the rules of engagement and how they actually operate. And um, it actually significantly improves their coordination as a unit, communication, and like Andy said, faster decision-making, the need for speed. And it was made really successful on, on the war in Iraq, um, where they actually um, used the, actually decentralized a lot of these things and actually put the decision-making on the team so they can make informed decisions faster. Um, and it's actually covered uh, in a book called Team of Teams by Stanley McChrystal. Great book, by the way. Really awesome. Right? Um, 
But my challenge here, and as I start thinking and hearing this is, give me the value of making the decision at the point of work. Okay, it's all well and good to say, okay, we're going to start making this decision at the point of work. We're going to empower, but why? What's, so Michael, I'll ask you this first, why? What does that do for you? So, um, so when, when we do this sort of democratizing the decision-making, so um, there, there's a few things that we need to consider here is um, the, the benefits you get is you, you build a lot of trust with your teams, right? You push the idea down so um, and, and leaders need to trust their teams. You actually hired these teams uh, and hired these people based on their skills and capabilities. So why are we micromanaging them or telling them how to de- do their job? So what you want to do is actually support them and be, um, be there to serve them and remove obstacles out of the way and give them the right stuff and the, the autonomy to make the right decisions. So if more focus on the goals and the things that we, we need to do, and, and, and focus on the strengths of the team so they can best use their capability. So when you take the thinking away from them, then um, you're, you're actually taking away the innovation as well and the collaboration from the teams. Yeah, and I think I understand that a lot more when you say that because it becomes somewhat demoralizing. Andy, what, what's, your, what's your thoughts on my, my pushback? I mean, okay, why? why? You know, Michael made some great points. Are there any other additional points you want to make? Yeah, I think it comes back to my original comment about um, expectations, customer expectations. People um, want fast responses. They want quick answers and they want their um, products or want the products faster or they want their problems solved faster. So to me, that's the key is that whatever your mission is, whether it's a, you know, a soldier in Iraq, you know, trying to wipe out the enemy or a customer service agent trying to you know, get a customer's um, phone working, it's about providing them, you know, doing whatever you're there to do as quickly as possible. So I'm going to start getting contrarian again, and I'm going to talk about this. So here, I'm an American worker, and you know, us American workers, we're highly productive. Um, I have never had to make a decision. You know, I do my job. I do what the boss man tells me to do. And as long as I meet the metrics that the boss man or boss woman, boss man, boss woman, boss person, boss whatever, um, I meet those metrics, I keep my job, and I make a good living. Get some 401k match. Now you agile folks, you, you know, smarty pants agile folks come here and tell me I have to make decisions. And as I heard, I think Andy says, you know, there's a lot of fear in that. And I'm like, I don't want to do that. Number one, I, I, don't, I make a good salary, so I don't have to make decisions. And I want to, I, I, now I, you better pay me more money. All right, I, I, I need more money to make decisions. And two, no way, man. No way, boss man, boss woman, once I make that decision, they're going to they're gonna light me up. Um, what do you say to that? Andy, what do you say to that? Um, well, I think, so you, you would fall into what I would call the bottom third. Um, I'm so, a bottom third. I'm, a, I'm more like a bottom feeder, but keep going. Yeah. So, <laughs> so I'm just talking about the sort of, this is sort of a, a, a heuristic that doesn't actually quite conform to this, but conceptually it sort of works this way if, if we think about any form of change we're really going to be using the power of a team to to influence things so if we think about this this perspective you're working in a team we're going to have a range of attitudes to any any change or any new idea so the first you, you would generally find you know a third of people that are 
interested, curious, and potentially in favor of the change, and they'll leap into it, and you'll, you know, get a lot of early um, results and uh, excitement and, and you know, all sorts of positive things from that third. Then you've got another third who are sitting on the fence who will be maybe um, watching slightly cynical and not quite sure. Um, and they'll be watching what happens with the first third. Um, so your job there is to, is to really get the first third to influence the second third um, and help them see why this new way uh, is actually better than what they were doing before and help them on that. And then you've got the, the bottom third, which, yeah, is, well, which is what you were talking about. My Adam. people, my people. Um, and, and they're the people, they're the, you know, you can almost call them the reluctance or immovables. Um, and I think in a lot of organizations, we focus a lot of energy on that, that group um, who, you know, frankly may never move um, and will therefore hold everything up. So from my perspective, um, the, the really biggest job is focusing on that second group. Um, the third group, um, if, they're, if they're never going to get that way, then they will either get that way through um, social influence. Eventually they'll be somewhat forced into by just um, the group dynamics into um, conforming to that. Um, or they'll figure out it's not for them and that's, that's okay as well. So, so there's casualties, there, there's casualties in this type of change. Exactly. Um, mm -hmm. and they, they make a conscious choice. So they'll either follow, eventually follow, um, and recognize they have to, or they'll decide that they want to go and find somewhere else that they can stay as they are. All right, Michael, what says you? I'm the bottom third. Andy says they're casualties that you should focus. Uh, on. <laughs> I kind of like where he's going with that. What's your thoughts? Oh, my thoughts. Um, uh, my thoughts are, I think that um, for leaders and change agents, it is your job to build a campfire so warm that people want to huddle around and get warm around it. Oh. That's the way I see it. Is it possible, though? Can you truly change somebody? Is, I mean, this is the thing. I mean, that story I told you, there's a lot of, and you can see in the current American situation, there's a lot of idealistic people that think their idea is right and you will not change them. Is it possible to change somebody? And if you do, give us some techniques that you use to do that because I think folks will be very interested. Yeah, so um, look, I think that a lot of it is actual uh, cultural things that were uh, and baggage that has uh, it's actually through through history, right? From the the industrial area uh, age, where it was really about um, you know Frederick Taylor and his uh, ways of um, separating management and the people doers, and it was a lot of that baggage is has been taken on and and to the way of working now. So it's it's. I think people are actually self-organizing, but um, we, we've taken a lot of that away from them. And uh, I think um, whether you're agile or not, um, you know, it, it actually starts with your mindset and taking the leap forward. So if you're, a, let's say, if you're a le leader in a position where you can uh, make, a make the change, um, it's, it's not just to preach it and just talk about it, but show and lead by example, right? You want to build trust and rapport, um, with with your, your people and your teams um, and 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 this and when we talk about building trust it, it's also not to micromanage it right and if you're a micromanager just stop really just just stop don't do it right and and it's hard right and these are the, the baggages that we carry with us right 
Yeah, the underlying beliefs. And that's what I think happens is the person who micromanages has an underlying belief that says, if I don't micromanage, I'm not valuable. If I'm not valuable, I'm going to lose my job and be displaced by this team that's making the decisions for me. So a lot of times I talk about how do you get that person to see new skills that they can convert their underlying belief to see that they're valuable doing something else. And what does that value look like and showing them what that value looks like through stories and examples. But, it, but breaking underlying beliefs, as psychologists will tell you, is extremely hard. A hundred percent. And you have to lead by example, right? And, and I think people actually want to come to work and do the best work that they can, right? So we want to um, try to help them and try to see that how they can add value. Because ultimately, when people are valued and when they're doing things that they're, that they feel like they're adding value, it actually reinforces that behavior. And as a leader... Um, you should be praising the, the good behaviors and acknowledge the good behaviors. And that, that way we can reinforce it, right? Yeah. So Andy, I think you have something to say. No, uh, well, I would just say, I love the aspirational thinking. Um, and I think that's powerful. And I think that's what we've got to uphold. Um, yeah. Sort of, sort of coming from a perspective of, um, of as you can tell, a slightly more cynical view of, of that on the basis of... Um, my observations of human nature over time. Um, um, but it doesn't mean to say that's not a good, a good aspiration. You know, what's interesting in this conversation, you start analyzing us, it's almost like exciting to see Michael's generation seeing the positive potential and our generation brought up more on the bureaucratic goals, as I was joking about at the introduction, taking a little bit more of a, uh, let's see, approach It'll be interesting to see if that aspirational tide keeps turning as Michael's generation becomes 50, 60% of the workforce. Any thoughts on that, either one of you? Ooh, um, yeah, and I think there's, there's a large element to that. As the um, older generation starts to retire, that will set up a new um, culture and a new standard of a way of operating. And this is how we operate. Oh, so as world, you want to kick... Fogies out, don't you, Mike? <laughs> Not quite that yet. And there's, there's plenty of stuff I can learn from you, you, you two. <laughs> I'm only messing with you. I'm only messing. But there is an element of that. And, you know, this idea of adaptability, your generation has a tendency to be more adaptive because you've had to handle VUCA, more chaotic VUCA than our generation had to handle. And so it becomes natural. It's the idea, as Andy talks a lot about habit building now, that you've been able to build natural habits that allow you to become more adaptable, which makes you more aspirational. And I love that word, Andy, aspirational. So let me, let me throw this at both of you and you, you can raise your hand about which one of you wants to start. And this will be our last question before we finish is when I talk about self-organization, I talk about responsibilities on both sides. So Michael, I've heard you talk about some of the responsibilities on the leadership side, consistency, building trust, building psychological safety, constant communication, you know, understanding what their role is away from micromanagement. But I also think there's some responsibilities that employees must uphold. And sometimes I think we let employees get away with things when we shouldn't. There are responsibilities that employees must have in order to properly self-organize. So what's your thoughts? Who wants to start on this one? Both responsibilities on both sides. Uh, maybe I'll start on the, the uh, I just, I suppose, um, embellish a little on the leader, leadership side as well, because I think this, this comes into what is the role of, of a leader as well, which, you know, 
you've mentioned before, a lot of people think in the agile world that um, goes away, you know, and, you know, if, when we sort of look at this, we actually find um, that organizations that have been successful with agile, the role of the leader becomes even more important. Um, but it's, it just shifts and changes from what we might know. But, but if you think about these, are, to me, the main things that a leader does in, in an agile organization is, um, is basically create the, or help set the environment within the team for, for the team uh, to have, be feel safe, the psychological safety concept, um, provide clarity on goals for the team, make sure that people understand them and um, work, uh, work towards them for individuals role clarity, understanding what the role of that person is and how they contribute to the goals, um, the personal development of the team, of that team um, and the individual. So the individual feels they've been nurtured and grown as um, towards, you know, for their individual needs, um, creating the autonomy. So allowing people to, to, to develop and to make decisions independently, but in a safe supported way. Uh, and then I think the, the most, one of the most important ones is also removing blockers. Um, yeah. So interesting, I saw a study recently with, from Jeff Sutherland, who is one of the founders of Scrum, who he talked about um, looking at some meta studies of, of agile implementations. The, the most important element of the, the uh, success criteria between ones that worked and didn't was actually having um, the, an executive um, and management level support to remove blockers between the teams. So I thought that was an interesting point that I think is often missed that we need to have um, you know, managers, executives really um, in support of um, removing um, problems um, and providing the team the, the you know the the means to to become to be independent. So, in a way, the role of the the manager becomes um, more important. It's just different. Michael, what says you? That was great, Andy. Yeah, that's that's awesome. So I'm just going to add to that because that's 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 awesome. So um, I think that both sides need to take responsibility. So whether you're from an employee side or the management side as a leadership side. So as a leader, it's your job to start to actually shift your mindset in, in ways of working. And it's really hard to shift this mindset because what happens is we've been so successful to get to where we are today with our old ways of doing things and our old practices that made us successful to this point, right? But um, what, it doesn't necessarily mean that um, it, it's going to make you successful in the future. And as the ways of working start to change, so does your, the way you need to um, guide and serve your team. So instead of a top-down approach, you need to start supporting your team and act a bit like a servant leader where you remove the uh, blockers and the impediments, like Andy said, and support them and unlock their true potentials and actually encourage them and calling out um, behaviors from employees, which it doesn't align to the ways of working and the goal we're trying to, to achieve. So, and yeah, that's, that's from the sort of leadership perspective, but from a um, sort of employee perspective, we, um, I think I want to hear this. Here we go. Give it to me. Uh, <laughs> so, so, so we need to support them, but also call out unwanted behaviors. And and 
and make it a bit of a habit, right? So it takes a long time, but we need to um, be consistent with it um, to, to encourage the good behaviors. But employees need to also step up, right, to the leadership who are not supporting it. So you put on your big boy pants or your big girl pants and you speak up, but respectfully, right? So like these things we talk about has been violated and, and you don't feel safe. And having that candid conversation is to, to talk about some of the things and roles, responsibilities, um, and just our values has been violated and has been broken. And also align the leadership on that if, if that's not the way of working, right? Yeah, and I, I'll add it because I am going to be the contrarian here. I love what you folks are saying, but I do think in, self or, in self-directed teams, we, do, we, we are a little too nice to the employee side. I think, number one, employees have to delay gratification. You know, we're very focused on what's in it for me. And I think with a self-organized construct and self-directed construct, you got to wait and delay gratification for the whole. And that's tough to teach people sometimes. And the, so that's one. I think number two is that people have to accept the responsibility that they have. Like the Spider-Man movies, with great power comes great responsibility. If you're given the responsibility to make decisions, accept that as a responsibility that it is and don't commiserate or don't do it, you know, havesy and protect yourself. Well, really, the manager wasn't giving me responsibility. So I, I, I pushed that away. And I see that a lot. Um, I think number three is the fact that you just can't burn the bridge. You know, people are going to make mistakes. Managers are going to fall back to bad habits occasionally. You know, they are going to micromanage once in a while just to throw up your arms and say, oh, it's all gone to heck in a handbasket. It's not going to work anymore. I think going back to your radical candor is having the responsibility to step up and say, hey, I think that we should fix this. Um, Because I think employees have a tendency to do that. So I do think there are some responsibilities. And the last one is accepting, you know, the core values, accepting the vision. And if you can't, move on. So one of the core values at the company I owned was have fun. But that have fun wasn't just about drinking on the job and, you know, goofing around. It was enjoy your work. And if you can't, talk about that. But just don't stay there and cause more miseries for others. So I think there's got to be more responsibilities on the employee side or else self-directedness can't work because they carry the rest of the team down. Do you two have any thoughts on that? Am I going yeah, to... Well- yeah, no, I agree. I think that's where that's to me that bottom third. I think you know if we've set the right um, climate and we've you know clear about what are the team values and organisational values, um, and yeah, people have got to be accountable to the you know the behaviours have got to be accountable to those to those values, um, and and I think commitments too. I think teams. Um, if you look at you know we're moving towards a team-based thing, then individuals have, have got to know what their role is in the team and be accountable for what they do. Um, and if they stuff up, they own up. Um, they don't blame other people. Yeah. Just own up, own up, fess up. I made a um, mistake. I, I'll, I'll work harder to fix it the next time. Oh yeah, it was my right. fault. Sorry about that. Yeah. yeah, that's right. Humility is part of this too. So being humble for your own, um, you know, failures or learnings um, and, um, you know, help others as well. Um, yeah. Move away from the all about me to, you know, more about we. Yes. No, Michael, anything on that before we end up with last comments? No, I think that was uh, beautifully put, Andy. Um, and, and I don't disagree with everything. And um, I would be basically repeating what you're saying. Um, if, if it did, and, and I completely agree with that. It needs to be a values and principle based, right? 
and, and really uh, alignment with the company values. And that's what it's all about. And that's the core of it. Yeah. So last, I'll just add Michael to that, to me, the, the company values, I mean, being cynical again can often be a bit meh. Um, I think to me, the more important things are the team values, you know, what have we've got on our uh, team charter? Um, hopefully they also reflect what's in the company ones, but to me, that's the team we're in and that's honoring our team um, as well. So I think that's to me the unit that I would focus more on than almost in the company ones, um, because that's that team together bound together is, you know, almost the more important unit. Have you thoughts on that, Michael? No, I, I completely agree with that. Um, so, no, I don't disagree with that at all. So, last points, 15, 20 seconds. Michael, you first. Last points, comments. Oh, comments. Um, um, how about, um, look, the, the, the rules of engagement in uh, the way we're working, in, in modern ways of working, we have to start to unlearn old behaviors that uh, once made us successful. Mm -hmm. um, and we need to change that thinking. And there's heaps of books um, on, you know, self-organization and, and there's books that I would recommend like um, Teams of Teams, um, Turn the Ship Around by David Marquette and Drive uh, by Daniel Pink that actually goes into studies about uh, motivation and human behaviors and autonomy as well. Um, I think the last closing point that I want to close out with is um, if you're telling your people what to do, then ultimately you are going to be responsible for their results. <laughs> Absolutely. That's right. Great point. Andy, last thoughts. Yep. Uh, plus one um, on both those books that um, Michael uh, mentioned, especially the, um, I think intent-based leadership, which is the foundation of David McKay's um, work is actually a very useful approach for how to, um, move towards self-direction, self-organized teams, because it basically has a, an approach that um, helps you move literally up the ladder from um, very command-driven to you know, very, to much more intent-driven. Um, so I'd highly recommend that as an approach uh, for, 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 for going down that path. Um, uh, and yeah, I think um, this is a necessary progression for organizations, teams. Um, it's a hard one as well, as we pointed out, it's not an easy one because there's a lot of cultural issues and um, baggage that prevents that. But, you know, again, um, I think to finish off, I could um, borrow from, from where I started. And I think we, you know, point out that I think we need to move from this sort of top down sort of model to a top gun sort of approach. <laughs> <laughs> You know, when I listen to you guys talk, I mean, the first thing I would think about, Michael said, you know, the Industrial Revolution. Revolution. We have 300 years of totally ingrained management structure that we have to break and unlearn as we go to this. That's, that's the first challenge, right? You know, but, you know, if we don't break and unlearn that, there's no way, Andy, as you said, we can compete. This pace is speed is making it impossible for the heroic leadership system. Like Michael said, if you expect to make all the decisions, it's all your responsibility. One human being cannot process all that information. So as much as I might've sounded like the contrarian, the ultimate concept here is without this, you know, failure will happen. And it's just a matter of how long you can hold on before the one big disruption knocks you over. So this is how, to me, how critical it is. 
and, and yeah, how difficult it is has to do with a lot with what we talked about. And you're dealing with a lot of underlying beliefs and long-term learning that needs to be broken down. But, you know, gentlemen, we all appreciate each other's time. This has been fantastic. The Gordon Gecko movie was Wall Street. So if you ever want to watch Wall Street, quite an interesting movie. And um, for all three of us, we're signing off. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Thank you for joining us on this edition of the Better Work Project. If you like this episode, please be sure to rate, review, and tell your friends and colleagues about it. If you have specific suggestions or ideas for future podcasts, please do not hesitate to reach out to us. Continue to fight the good fight. We'll see you the next time on the Better Work Project. Thank you.